Eric Girl. Hi, everybody. Hey, everyone. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And this is Dead Time Stories. A weekly podcast where Sarah and I get together to talk about ghost stories, true crime, mysteries, cults, conspiracies, the supernatural, paranormal, or even just the generally weird, eerie, spooky, strange stuff that we want to talk about that week. Why is that, Sarah? Because it's our show and it's not yours. (laughs) If it's your first time listening to the show, stop. Go, Go back, back to the beginning. the beginning. Episode one, grumble throat to my mouth a little bit. Thank Look, you. Look, we give a whole spiel every week where we tell people, if you've never listened before, stop, go back and listen to the beginning. You would know that you've probably heard this a bunch of times before if you've been with us from the beginning. If you haven't, stop. Stop. Go back. Listen from the beginning. Welcome, Welcome back. back. Hey, everybody. Thank you all so much. Ah. Thank you so much. I'm into it. We're on it's our spiel. It's our thing now. We got our spiel on a spieley roll. I'm on the fucking spiel. I just had to check off the reminder. To talk about Greg's book. Because <laughs> we did that last week. Because we did that last week. And if uh, you didn't listen last week, but Go you decided to listen. Greg's book. This week, you Greg's shouldn't book. be here. Right. You shouldn't be here if you didn't listen last week. But if you didn't. The Rebel Planet, Greg Green, go listen. It's go, on Amazon. Go, go buy it. Go read it. There okay. you go. Amazon. Bam. Bam. Your Kindle Prime. It's on there right now. We start out every episode just like with a list of things for them to do. I really feel like we start out each episode just being like, do this, do this, do this, do this. I like to think it's the ADHD. Like, it's because <laughs> I'll be like, I need to do this thing. But if I'm going to do that, then I need to go do this other thing first. But that's not ready yet because I didn't put the thing in the place where it needs to be. So first I need to go put the thing in the place and it'll be where I need to be. Then I can do the other thing that'll make it so I can do this thing. Wait, what was I even trying to do? Why did I come into this room? You were starting from the beginning. Why did I come in this room? What did I come in here to get? We're recording the episode. Right. No, I'm just, that's my thought process. Oh, okay. Okay. So okay. I think that that's what makes it. It's episode 172. That's what goes into We're it. We're recording right, it right that's now. That's how my brain works. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it bleeds into how we run the show a little bit too. We're like, here's what you need to do to listen to the show. First, you have to go back and listen from the beginning. You have to catch up. Um, then you have to skip and then all to do that, that. If, you, if you've been here before, but don't, because you should listen to every precious moment. But also continue voice. to listen to what we're talking about right now and not get annoyed and bored. Why didn't you come into this room? What did you come in here to get? I think I need to poop. Well, this is, is this the, the room with the toilet? Is this that. the room where it happens? I miss telling people because, you know, we have it's COVID time. So I haven't had people in my house, certainly not new people. Um, but my favorite thing to tell a new person is when they're like, where's your bathroom? I will give directions and then I'll go. It's the one with the toilet in it. There you go. And I miss being able to say that to people. I'm trying to be more about. Uh, using the phrase instead of, you know, may I use your ladies' room, may I use your girls' room, may I even use your restroom. But it's just like, let's be honest. Where's your toilet? Where's your toilet room? Where's your toilet room? Where's your toilet room? Where's you know the what's, room where I can go pee pee? You know what's in that room? It's the toilet. So it's the toilet's room. Gotta, the bedroom has the bed in it. It's I'm the not bed's room. resting, okay? I'm, I'm doing not any resting in that room, okay? It's a constant struggle. Depending upon the type of sto- of toilet, I might be squatting over it. That's not a rest <laughs> for me. <laughs> I know you stumbled on it a little bit. So you're saying depending on the kind of stool. <laughs> It's great because it could be the squatty body body stool, right? Or it could be the kind of poop that's coming out of your butthole. Or both. 
And that's what I was going to say. Right. I'm never resting in there. Sometimes I'm fighting for my life. <laughs> Either way, say. the focus is on the toilet. It's on the toilet. It's the toilet it's room. It's the toilet's room. Where's the toilet room, please? Where so, do you keep your toilet? There's your new phrase to try and incorporate uh, in your life as a nice neutral phrase. Which, it's not a bathroom or a restroom. I'm If I'm going into your home, I'm there. not taking a bath. Uh, it's the toilet room. I come. I do bathe at Mary Angela's house sometimes, but it's part of a plan. It's usually like I've got this really nice bath bomb, and can I but please come use your giant also has tub? a quote unquote bathroom that doesn't have a bathtub in it. What is That's that downstairs? That That's a toilet, a toilet room. room on the first floor. That's a toilet room. That's a toilet room. Yes, ma'am. There. Yes, ma'am. I rest my case. <laughs> You restroom your case. <laughs> no, I don't. I toilet room my case. I toilet room my case. <laughs> Sarah, tell the people about your show you got coming up. Well, uh, there are no toilets in it. Spoiler. Uh, it is called The Secretaries. It'll be going up the last two weekends of September, first weekend of October at our good old Allen's Lane Arts Center. It's a part of Philadelphia Fringe Festival, and you can find out information about it all on the Philadelphia Fringe Arts website. You can also buy your tickets there. It will be in person, but also outside, so that's nice. There will still be tables. It will be the last show of the season at Allen's Lane that will allow you to bring food. So you are still allowed to bring food and beverage to this show. But after our show, no more food, just beverages. Really? Yep. Because it's going to be inside for the rest of the season. And so I think it's... You should bring food. I think it's also just a pain in the ass. If they're just like, no food anymore. We're no more food. It. Just drinks. let you bring your whole fucking dinner But here, it was too and much. And you ruined it. <laughs> Kinda. Yeah. Oh, that makes me sad. That would be like my whole reason to go to an Allen's Lane show is I used to be like, I'm going to bring a whole meal. I See, would take all my trash with me. I wouldn't leave shit. Mine is like, I don't really care about a meal. Maybe some cheese and crackers, but I'm more like, oh, I can bring a drink. Done. Right, I, the drink is And key. they still let you the bring drink, drinks. Right. Drink the drinks key. are allowed. But I would, yeah, I would get there early because I would make sure I opened all my stuff before the show started. So that make you're sure not the whole hearing theater. anybody opening because you're in a fucking theater. People, you just smell oh, all of it. God damn. I'm trying to remember what we came to see. It had to be a show you were in. It was probably I Hate Hamlet, where we came and we brought, like, we had Danielle with us. We had, uh, I just remember, like, we had made dinner, and I had my, like, chicken, um, oh, my God, it was, like, a recipe from HelloFresh, that, like, chicken pesto, presto chicken, right, with, like, the panko breadcrumbs. And I just remember I had, like, my little pasta and my little chicken breasts. <laughs> Eating and like having wine, and it was really nice. No, this is a theater. This but is nice. no more. This is your last chance to bring uh, food to an Allen's Lane show. So you come bitch. see the secretaries. Come see the secretaries. Bring your chicken pesto and pasta if you uh, want, because you won't be able to do the it last anymore. Time, last. She's raving her like today's yeah. Sanchez. Mm. And if you want to catch me at, towards the end of September, all through October, and into the first couple weekends of November, mm-hmm. I will be. The good lady Dame Judy May Best at the Speakeasy at Halloween Nights at Eastern State Penitentiary. And I'm very, very, very excited. Come see me. It's your reprise. Reprise. I've missed Judy. She hasn't been out in two years. And mm. Judy is Judy's a good time, you know? The She's good lady fun. Dame Judy May Best. Friends call her Judy. Good Judy. Dame Judy. Judy May Best thing on two legs. Only thing better than me is my sister Mary. And she's only got one leg. There it is. <laughs> I miss it. It's going to be so fun. I have no idea what that's going to look like as far as masks. Mm-hmm. And we're not outside. I mean, we're in the, we're near we're in a prison. Cell. But I do know that this year, 
Uh, it's usually just half the prison, and this year they're using up the whole prison. I love that. I'm sure part of it is also because, you know, socially distancing. Yeah. They're also using a bigger part of the yard, like the outside part. I think that's so cool. Super, super excited to see what they do with it. One of the things that I read that I can't wait to learn more about is vampires. Ooh. I don't even usually give a shit about vampires. But it's new. But it's new. Right. Eastern State has uh, has normally been like, ooh, these people are going to jump out and get you, and they're going to get you sick. And we're not doing that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to make you immortal. We're going to make you live forever, bitch. The opposite. We went um, the other way. I'm so excited to see what that's going to be like. It's going to be gonna really be so cool. Fun. I cannot wait. I'm also excited that I shave my eyebrows now, so I can't wait to see all the things that the makeup artists are going to do with my eyebrows. It's going to be so much fun. Can't wait. are endless. Ugh. For your eyebrows. I can't wait. Um, I know you said the possibilities are endless. <laughs> the browse abilities. But it just made me <laughs> think of... Um, there was a pasta restaurant in Greensboro that me and Greg used to drive by uh, called Pastabilities. I get it. And we used to love being like, imagine the Pastabilities. You remember that, Greg? Check out Greg's book. <laughs> Not Greg. Greg, you don't need to check Good out your book. Segue. You know your own book. Greg, check out your book. <laughs> check out Greg's book, The Rebel Planet Not by Greg Green. Not the Pastabilities. Not imagine the Pastabilities. And when I was in Puerto Rico, I saw a pasta place called K-Pasta. And I was like, that's even better than I can't. Oh. Impossible. Impossible. Call me, beat me if you want to reach me. Kim Possible. That was her it was, song, was, wasn't I, it? Uh, yeah. It didn't say Kim Possible in it, but it was call me, beat me if you want to reach me. Mm-hmm. Oh, Kim Possible. Impasta. I'm hungry. Me too. I guess All right, we show's over. Soon, so we should go. Can we go have dinner? Nope. Sorry, guys. We're going to cut this one short because we're both hungry. Um, that's scary. So <laughs> thank you all for listening. I'm Sarah. Oh, spooky. Stephanie. I'm scared, girl. <laughs> I'm so. I'm. Was I'm that nervous. it? What happened? I don't know. Hey, Sarah. <laughs> hey, Stephanie. Are you Stephanie? No, I'm <gasps> Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> what? <laughs> No. Did you listen to last week's I'm episode? Actually, Harry not. Houdini. Um, for a second, I was about to ask you if you were a changeling, but that is something else that I learned about in the car ride back from Virginia Beach. Are you can tell me about that it. I listened to our Laura. Well, I was thinking about doing a whole episode on it, oh, but it can't wait. I mean, That's it's not basically today, but look Ir- out. Irish folklore where it says <laughs> if you leave and you come back and you seem like a different person, it's because you're a changeling, and that means I'm allowed to set you on fire. <laughs> It's only fair. To make sure that you're not a changeling. It's the Irish God's law. Anyways, that's not it. You are Stephanie, we think. Hey, Uh, Stephanie. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Hey, Leslie. Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? What are you talking about, Stephanie? So I'm talking about two things. I decided. (laughs) You're going to talk about both of them? I am going to talk about both of them. So I was telling Sarah I have these two interesting stories, and I didn't know if I wanted to, like, try and stretch each of them out to do one this time and one another time. But they're both pretty short. Um, (laughs) They're just both pretty interesting, so I wanted to share them today. So the first story we're going to talk about is, and when I say story, these are true crimes. Uh, I say it's a story because it's a good time and we're going to laugh about it. But these are real things that actually happen. But it's a true crime. Yes, it's a true crime. So first we're going to talk about the murder of who they would come to call Mike the Durable. Apparently not. The Durable, you say. Why did they call him that? I took the words right out of my mouth. 
So it's the summer of 1932 in in the Bronx. The summer of 69. No, 1932. What? Summer of 32. 32. Yes, in the Bronx. There's a bar owner. His name is Tony Marino. Tony the undurable. Tony. (laughs) Tony the tester. Tony the tester. He's going to test how durable Mike is. (laughs) So he uh, was the proprietor of a rundown speakeasy in the Bronx. Okay. And he's down his luck. He needs some money. So him and a couple of his friends, he had four work acquaintances, so they all like work with him at the at this make easy or whatever you want to call it. Because you know, they're they're not on the up and up anyway to begin with. They hatch a plan that they are gonna murder somebody and collect the insurance. Cool, yeah. Taylor's oldest time. They're like, first we gotta make friends with a corrupt insurance agent. Okay. Okay. Then step one. We're gonna buy a policy on some schmuck. Step two. <laughs> step three, kill him. Step four, profit. No, so, <laughs> right? um, so they're like, we're gonna we're gonna work with a crooked insurance guy. We're gonna buy a policy on some homeless drunk that nobody's gonna care about, and we're gonna kill him, and we're gonna collect the insurance money. Foolproof sounds foolproof like. plan, right? They chose a guy who was a regular at the bar. <laughs> The durable. Because you go with what you know. His name is Michael Malley. Or Mallory. Uh, Mike, I can't even fucking talk. Michael Malloy. There's no R in there. Michael Malloy. Mike Malloy, as you can imagine, is an immigrant mm-hmm. from Ireland. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he, at the time, he was homeless. He was down on his luck. And he would perpetually go back and forth between um, being on credit, like running a tab at the bar when he didn't have any money. And he would sure. come in and drink and drink and drink and run up a tab. And he'd get a job, pay off his tab, live in his life, lose his job, run up a tab again. And he would go through this cycle like every couple of months. Okay. And they're like, Mike is a guy. Perfect target. He obviously hates his life. They're like, perfect target. No family to speak of. Nobody's going to miss this guy. Home Right now, he's on the homeless part of the cycle, down on his luck. We called his job references. They were shitty. So they're like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take out a life insurance policy on Mike, okay? Then we're going to get him to drink himself to death. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to collect the insurance money. All right. That sounds like a slow burn, though, on the drink himself to death. So, <laughs> turns out, Mike was somewhat difficult to kill. Durable. <laughs> this is how he got his nicknames, Iron Mike or Mike the Durable. So, they're like, okay, we're going to give him an unlimited tab. <laughs> just open credit at the bar. And he is just gonna drink, and he's like, "Oh my god, I love you guys!" Down his throat until he drinks himself to death. Like that's their plan, right? But Mike comes in every fucking day. He spends all day there. He gets up, they open. He comes in because he doesn't have a job right now. Mm -hmm. He literally drinks all fucking day, and he leaves at night. (laughs) He doesn't take a nap, and he's not. He sleeps when he leaves. And he comes back in the morning, and he puts it more on his fucking. That's a full time task. That's a full time job. His full time job becomes trying to drink himself to death, unbeknownst to him, right? And they're bringing him in, trying to get him to drink himself to death. Honestly, not but he would that drink way. until he like passed out. Yeah, he would like wake up, drink some more. Guess sleep. it's time to go home. That's it. That was his. That was his fucking day. 
This went on for months. <laughs> and they're like, okay, well, clearly right, something's this isn't going to work. Right. So we're going to need to, like, speed things up a bit, right? So Tony Marino and his partners in crime decided to add antifreeze to Mark's booze. Mm. So Mike would come in. He would start drinking it up until he passed out. And then you would wake up and ask for more. And they were like, that's straight antifreeze. They were and like, he's like, I don't care what it is. As good as it new on the menu. They then replaced the antifreeze with turpentine. Malloy on face. <laughs> good Lord. They switched to horse liniment, which is um, basically like liquid, like muscle relaxers. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Mike was feeling good. Mike. Drank it, asked for more. They tried arsenic. They tried rat poisoning him. Wow. Nothing seemed to work. This guy just won't die. One of them had heard that if you soaked oysters in wood alcohol, it would make them, like, poisonous. So they tried that, and then they were like, try these oysters. They gave him a sandwich with spoiled sardines, and it was sprinkled with metal shavings. And he was, like, delicious. So they're like, okay, <laughs> we've tried literally poisoning this man. And mind you, like, we paid for this insurance policy. We're giving him free liquor. We are losing money on this investment. God is just, like, laughing the at day. them. So the next plan, they're like, okay, we're going to fucking freeze him to death. It's the Bronx. It's wintertime. They take him outside after he passed out in the bar. Sure. himself into a slumber. Yeah. Okay. They drag him outside. And they poured five gallons of cold water on him. And the the temperature was negative 14 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, my God. And they're like, we're going to freeze this man to death. Like, should be no time at all. So they carried him out to the park. They dumped him in the snow. They poured five gallons of water on his chest to make sure he froze solid. And Malloy showed up the next day (laughs) to get booze. Stop. I want to be there to see their faces when he walked in the door. Marino and his cohorts. <laughs> Did they give up? Um, one of them drove a taxi. They used his taxi to run over Mike Malloy. Stop! <laughs> at 45 miles an hour. Malloy was put in the hospital with broken bones. He did not die. <laughs> He was in the hospital for three weeks from this incident. He reappeared at the speakeasy as soon as he was discharged. He was like, I need a fucking drink. So on February 22nd, 1933, when he passed out, they stuck a gas hose in Malloy's mouth after he passed out and they turned on the coal jets. And finally, that killed Mike Malloy. What was it? It was, um, so it was like the, the gas from the furnace. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they put a hose into the furnace. Jeez, and that finally and did it? Death. That is what killed Mike. What movie is that like? Midsummer, the way it starts where her <laughs> sister does that to herself? Yes. Midsummer is where she puts the, where she kills her parents with, and herself with the hose in the mouth. So they did collect the insurance, but... Because remember, they were working with a crooked insurance agent. Okay, I was like, but then the cops were like, um, no, you guys have been openly talking about trying to kill him. So the rumors started to go around. People started talking. Okay. 
And ultimately, the police were involved. They looked at the insurance. They looked at the death certificate. And they were like, this looks like a bunch of bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) So Mike uh, Mike Malloy's body was exhumed and re-examined. And the truth came out. Then they were able to see, like... (laughs) Man had all these chemicals in his system. He had been hit by a car. He had all these broken bones. How is he alive? Well, he's not now. Well, yeah, (laughs) finally. The plotters were tried and convicted in 1934. One got a life prison sentence, and the other three, including Tony Marino, got the electric chair. Wow. Why did the one only get a life sentence? I think they were just like, he was less involved with the plan or whatever. Hmm. Yeah. So that's my first Damn. story. Damn. <laughs> All right. Poor guy. Wait. Oh, yeah. That's right. You have two. What's I have the two second stories. One? I know, right? And I was trying to decide which one to tell first. But this one I thought was, for some reason, I thought this was, was funnier. Um. So there's a lady, Sarah with an H, Sarah Wilson. The durable. <laughs> durable. <laughs> She's, I, what would I call her? I would just say she is a pistol. So Sarah Wilson. <laughs> Sarah Wilson was a maid for one of the ladies-in-waiting of Queen Charlotte at Buckingham Palace. And she was young. You know, she's like a teenager at this time. She's maybe like 17. Um, and this was at a time, because this is in like the 1760s. This is like the mid-18th century. Okay. Um, the, um, the UK, the British colony... <laughs> They're not a colony. (laughs) The Brits were still um, exporting people as punishment. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm trying to remember what the word is for it. They called it like um, penal transportation. (laughs) I don't like that. I don't either. Um, But that was, if you didn't know what Australia was. I mean, Mm -hmm. not for the, there were natives there, obviously. But for white people, (laughs) Australia was a penal colony. So people would get like. Sentenced like prison, to Australia. Yeah. <laughs> but that would happen with America as well. So people at this time, like, you could either, like, you could spend life in prison or you could go. Go to the fucking states. Harsh it out <laughs> on in the colonies and, you know, make your fucking best of it and see what happens. So um, during this time when Sarah was working at Buckingham Palace, she had some light fingers um, which means she liked to take stuff. Yeah, it meant she liked to steal things, not finger people. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she did both. All right, that's fair. You know, I don't know her life. So one hand for fingering, the other hand for swiping. At this time, especially uh, you're Robin from the Crown, but at this time, um, theft was still punishable by death in England. Oh goodness! So this girl was like, she was like, you know, she's taking some stuff, testing. But people were like, where did you get that nice dress? Where did you get those jewels? And she'd be like, uh, my mom gave it to me. Um, <laughs> my grandma. She was arrested for basically like it was suspicion on like how she got all this shit. She was tried, she was convicted, and she was convicted and she was sentenced to hang because like I said that was one of hundreds of crimes that were still punishable they by They were death like just him. fucking kill him. <laughs> but luckily for her, her sentence was commuted to penal transportation and they were like you are going to go fucking rough it up in the colonies and you're going to go be an indentured servant and then once you finish your time there, just go live in the Americas and see what that's like. Good fucking luck, Sarah. But you're banned from the UK. You're you can never come back, back here yeah, yeah. again. 
So she goes to Baltimore. That's where she's sent. And she was taken off of the convict ship and she was sold as an indentured servant. But within a few days, she escapes. Of course she did. <laughs> she still had managed to um, have some of these like royal belongings, some of this like upper class. So she was able to like pawn it? Onto. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, did she pass herself off as as a rich person? So she claimed to be the sister of Queen Charlotte. Stop. Princess Susanna Carolina Matilda of Mecklenburg-Sterlitz. Get the fuck out of here. She explained that her presence in the American colonies was by inventing a royal family quarrel. She's like... My sister, like, she we fought, and she was like, "You're gonna go live in the Americas," and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm totally a princess." Um, and she talked about there was this scandal that basically like required her to just temporarily leave Britain until things calmed down. Mind you, she's banished from co- she's ever like, coming I'm back. I'm just here on vague for a sabbatical away from my sister, right? So that's what she's telling everybody. <laughs> What a con artist. So during her time as a maid in Buckingham Palace, um, she had observed royal mannerism. She saw etiquette. So she had observed, like, how these people carried themselves. And that's basically what she did. She's like, you know, I came here from the UK. And uh, can you imagine they lost my luggage? All I have is this one dress. She's like, be royalty. How hard could it be? All you have to do is this. She managed to pull off a convincing imitation that duped many colonials into believing that she was really a princess. And she parlayed that into a life of luxury. Of course she did. What a queen. (laughs) Princess. Sorry. For years, (laughs) Princess Susanna, as she called herself, traveled up and down the American colonies uh, from New Hampshire in the north all the way down to the Carolinas. Living her best this life. This just moving up and down. Uh, she was hosted in style by many government officials. Oh, my god! Wealthy Americans, social climbers, and others eager to befriend and win the favor of royalty. So she grifted many out of considerable sums. Surprise. By she was promising people like royal appointments. She was like, oh, I'll put in a good word with you with my sister, Queen Charlotte, and her husband, the king. And people were like, oh my God, thank you so much. Thank you so much. You want to stay here for free? We're going to feed you all weekend. Like, girl, don't even worry about it. We love having a princess here. She also took out numerous loans. And bought many luxury items on credit. Of course she from did. From merchants and shopkeepers eager for royal patronage <laughs> and the custom of a princess. And you're like, when does it fall, fall through? The scam ended. <laughs> there it is. When her master finally took her back to Baltimore. In 1775, this is where the records get a little bit murky. So she definitely lived and got away but the question is did she escape again or did she with the wealth that she amassed buy her freedom mm-hmm. either way she was captured and brought back to baltimore but in 1775 she made her way back north again some accounts say that she escaped some accounts are like she bought her freedom and she just fucking left win-win but either way she moved back to the north where she met and she married a British army officer during the American Revolution. And she's like, did you know I used to be a princess? (laughs) After the war, the couple stayed in the newly independent United States, after which Sarah vanishes from the record. 
No, so she probably just lived the rest of her life as a free woman. <laughs> wow. But she was like, I'm the princess. Oh, my! Charlotte would love you. Oh, my God. That is classic, okay. Char. So Charlotte and I had this little inside so joke. So me and Lottie, we would love to go <laughs> I mean, honestly, though, good for her. And she basically conned her way from being a maid who was sentenced About to, to death for stealing shit yeah. into moving to the Americas and uh, conning her way into pretending that she was a princess. And people were just like, yeah, sure, I buy it. And she got away with it. And she got away with it. And then when she got caught, she got away with it again. <laughs> and Good she was like, her. that's cool. I'm just going to marry And then she rich. found love. And she was like, BT Dub, I can't actually go back to, to Britain. So I hope you're cool to <laughs> stay, stay here. here. Because they don't remember that I'm a princess. <laughs> they don't remember. <laughs> I, I know you hear about the forgotten princess. That's me. That's you might have not heard about me because I was forgotten. Or maybe you just forgot. <laughs> and those are my stories. I love that. Aw, yay. Well, I have another true crime. But uh, I'm ready. Uh, not as fun as a woman conning her way up the East Coast. Right? I'm like, good for her. Good for her. Right? You keep waiting for the story to turn. And you're like, nope, she just did she that until anybody. she didn't have to anymore. And then uh-huh. she just settled down. And then nobody knows what happened after that. She just chilled. Cool. Um, so this story, I will say, was brought to me by, you might remember, uh, two Guestoberfests ago. We had someone on named Shane. I do. Who had a, has a podcast called Realm of the Unknown. And Shane was on in Guestober, and Shane approached me and said, hey, I've been working on this story, and the more that I dive into it and research it, it seems like something that is better suited for your show. And I said, oh, my God, okay. And he told me a little bit about the story, and I was like, that sounds amazing. And he said, well, I'm doing the research and the write-up. Do you want it when I'm done? Hey. And I said, yes, absolutely I do. Because that's one less thing of research that I have right? to do. I was like, jealous. So, <laughs> uh, uh, Shane has brought us this story that I will be telling to you today. Uh, he did a wonderful, lovely write-up. Thank and you, this thing is a ride. We're ready. So, buckle Shake up. Shake that mouse. Get that screensaver off. Let's go. Let's make sure it's still recording. I know. The trouble we go through for you, for, for you, the listeners. The listener. And it is. So this is a true crime back that dates back to the original days of the Wild West Internet. Do it. We're talking oh, June God. 29th, 2003. 2003. What a wild time to be on the internet. Now, as a warning, this story does involve teenage victims as well as references to some darker crimes of sexually explicit nature. Due to this, a lot of the information is either scattered or just not publicly mentioned for several years. So uh, he had to do a lot of digging to get some of the details that we've got here. I'll also say that because this has to do with minors, the names have been changed. That's fair. June 29th, 2003, in Trafford, Greater Manchester, England, a 14-year-old boy known as John was rushed to the hospital in critical condition. He had sustained several stab wounds to his torso that had punctured a kidney and his liver. Yeah. His best friend, and a six, how old was he? 14. 14. 
His best friend, a 16-year-old named Mark, was the one who alerted the police to the event. Is he the one who fucking Explaining to officers that the two had been spending the day at the local shopping center when an unknown strange man attacked and attempted to rob John, and during the struggle, it left the teen injured and bleeding. At face value, this seems like any other mugging gone wrong. However, to fully understand what occurred, we're going to have to take a step back and break down the series of events that led to both John and Mark to be where they were that summer afternoon. I'm ready. Which we're not going back very far. Again, the overall timeline of events is the way we're going to tell this story, so we're going to do everything as it happened chronologically. And additionally, John 14 and Mark 16 are the fake names given by the press because these were minors. Oh, I also have to. I'm doing sound effects. Hold on. It's silly, but it's awesome. Now, timeline up to the crime. We're going to primarily follow Mark, the 16-year-old. The beginning, we're talking the beginning of 2003, January, February. Mark, being a generally average teen from the Manchester area, he was a pretty middle-of-the-road student, played sports, wasn't a popular kid, but had a good group of friends. Ultimately, uh, he found camaraderie, as most kids in the early 2000s did, in something that was relatively new for some households, which is known as the internet, a.k.a. chat rooms. AOL. Let's just go ahead and get this started. Welcome. So... (laughs) I was like, is it going to be AOL sound or is it going to be the modem sound? (laughs) I was not going to do that to us or our listeners. You're welcome, Gen Z. Again. You don't have to deal with that. Mark had discovered an MSN chat room for Manchester area teenagers, which hosted dozens of local accounts. Mark was hooked. Now, March 2003. Yes! Rachel, like, please, please play one of the door sounds for me. I am. Rachel enters the chat room. <laughs> Mark had spent his time chatting with people here and there, engaging with general conversations in the group. Eventually, though, he starts chatting with a new member known as Rachel. Rachel was a 16-year-old girl who lived nearby, whose stepbrother actually went to school with Mark. The brother being a 14-year-old named John. John from the beginning. Yes, no, I got it, got it, got it. Uh, Rachel and Mark chatted in the chat room to the point where they ended up flourishing into a relationship, like I'm sure many of us, quote unquote, had in chat rooms as teenagers in the early 2000s. Girl. They did not chat via web camera, primarily only through text. However, Rachel. Hell no, we didn't have webcams back then. Well, we had them, but they weren't. Yeah, right, exactly. But like, we weren't. Not everybody. Rachel did send Mark a photo of herself, which pretty much sealed the deal with Mark. He grew madly in love with this pretty awesome and beautiful girl that he'd been chatting with for a while in this chat room. And at this point, Rachel would also reach out to Mark and ask for her for Mark and her brother to try and connect to see if they would be friends because her brother John was being bullied in school. Rachel and Mark both dis- both decided to try and give a cyber relationship a shot. Very much a puppy love type of cyber romance. John enters the chat room. Eventually, John also joined the chat room a few weeks after Rachel and Mark had started chatting. He and Mark began to chat as well, and the two of them found that they had a lot of interests in common, and they started to become fairly good friends. We'll move forward to April one month later. 
Eventually, it got to the point where Mark and Rachel would start making plans in order to meet up with one another. However, like a lot of internet relationships, things kept coming up on Rachel's end. She got busy. Plans changed. She wasn't feeling well, etc. Mark, being a 16-year-old teen, obviously still wanted to meet her, so he kept attempting to set up a time for them to meet, but nothing seemed to be sticking. Kevin enters the chat room. At some point, a new individual would enter the MSN chat room by the name of Kevin. But these are AOL sounds. I know, but I don't know what the MSN sounds are. AOL is more universal. Let's pretend they're on AOL. They would enter the chat room on whatever platform it was. Kevin wrote in all pink text in the chat, and apparently he claims he does this because he was gay. Furthermore, it was the early no, my 2000s. Eyes got, my eyes like hurt. I rolled so I, hard. I imagine he's also, if he was able to, early 2000s, type in the glittery pink font. That's the font that Kevin would have chose to just make sure everyone knew that he was gay. I used air quotes. Furthermore, both siblings, Rachel and John. When he was really excited. He would alternate between lowercase and capital letter. Like in between yeah. in the words that so you would know that he was being sarcastic and or just super excited. Anyways, Rachel and John, they both apparently knew of Kevin already before Kevin had entered the chat room. They described him as being a creep and a real stalker who would often threaten and bully both Rachel and John. One night, Mark logs on, having planned to meet Rachel that evening to chat. The teens were pretty much online all the time at this point. Every night they spoke with one another. However, tonight, Rachel did not log on. Mark gets nervous and concerned, since this was not normal behavior. Enter Kevin. That night, he proclaims to Mark, who was still waiting for Rachel, that he had kidnapped Rachel and that he had been thinking and planning this for some time now. But because Kevin was such a nice guy, he offers Mark the chance to be Rachel's hero and he would release Rachel in exchange for a simple request. Shot in the dark! (laughs) Just because I can, even though we're not taking shots. Did Kevin ask Mark to A, send him $500, B, masturbate on web camera for him. Or C, send him a dick pic with his face in it. Ooh. B? Ding, 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 ding. Kevin. I hate being right about that. Kevin asked for Mark, the 16-year-old, to masturbate for him on live webcam. I'll take a moment to have an addendum here. We should mention that it is not clear how old Kevin, quote unquote, really is. Again, they're supposed to be in a chat room that's only for local teens. However, it could be any end of the spectrum. At this point, Mark was mortified, but also, I guess, a scared teen. So he complied. And he shared his live camera with Kevin didn't see Kevin through his camera, just shared it with him, and just... Sure. And it worked. Kevin released Rachel... Stop. ...who entered the chat room for a brief moment later that night. 
to be like, hey, baby, I'm fine. But all this showed Kevin that he could easily manipulate Mark by targeting Rachel. It wasn't very long until Kevin abducted Rachel a second time. However, this time, things got darker. Kevin went into explicit detail, explaining to Mark how he and several of his gay friends took turns, get ready, gang raping Rachel, ultimately revealing that they had killed her once they were done. Even worse, Kevin told Mark that while they were taking turns with her, all she would do was cry and call out pleading for Mark, and Kevin ended their chat with the following dark message, and I quote, this is from the transcript of the chats. Kicked all in her stomach, put her head under water, then out, freezing cold, dot, dot, dot. And she stained my sheets when she was bleeding. You, not Y-O-U, but just you. you, I assumed. You weren't there for her, however much she screamed for you. No real reason why Mark didn't choose to call the cops right then and there, but again, we're just going to chalk all of it up to it being the early days of the internet, kids being in chat rooms, not knowing how to handle things, etc. I don't don't mean to laugh, because obviously the only person who is being victimized in this situation is Mark. Like... But I'm just like the things that are being said about Rachel. I kidnapped her. Those are clearly none of that is real. But I'm also like He's I'm a, a grown adult in 2021. Yep. And I was I was a 16 year old at that same time, and I probably would have believed some stupid shit like that. I don't know. No, I don't know because we had the internet since 1999, and I had been in Yahoo chat rooms. And I don't know. I had almost uh, been abducted by a chat room predator. Well, in a cool chat room for young girls who like to talk to older guys. Well, those were the chat rooms I frequented on Yahoo chats. And I was like, I'm so cool. This older person wants to talk to me. So I'm just like, is John all three of those people? Because John is real because he ended up in a hospital. But I'm like, is he in the hospital? Because it turned out he was all those people. And then he got his ass beat. I don't know. I guess we're about to find out. I don't know. But then again, John is a 14 year old kid. He is. And Mark is a 16 year old kid. Anyways. Back to this. I'm like, it just sounds like a child lying. Like, it sounds like some kid coming up with a bunch of bullshit and pretending to be different people on the internet. That's what all of this sounds like. So I'm waiting to hear where it goes. Mark is down with the cult so far. I'm sure. Yeah. Mark is like, oh my God, my girlfriend. Yes. This news destroyed Mark. He slipped into an extreme depression. His grades began to fall. He wasn't socializing. He started retreating away from the world since no one else knew what had happened Mark, to him. So he couldn't sorry. tell Rachel people. never existed. The only person he had to reach out to and that he clung to was John, Rachel's stepbrother. At this point, Mark and John had still been fairly close friends throughout all of this dark shit involving Rachel. They were hanging out a lot more in person to grieve, just be there for one another, People said that they were almost inseparable, just like best, best friends. <laughs> Lindsay enters the chat room. Stop! Eventually, Mark began chatting with another girl in the chat room oh, by the name Christ. of Lindsay. However, Lindsay, too, would disappear from the chat room that same month at the end of April. When the chat room began speculating what had happened, they argued it ranged anywhere from the government offing her to it being Kevin once again, since Lindsay was getting close to Mark. 
you know, gay Kevin who likes to brutalize girls, gang rape so girls. Gay. He might have done it to Lindsay too. God who knows? Damn it. April 28th, 2003. <laughs> Twist. Rachel, Rachel is back in the room. Oh my God. Suddenly. Oh my God. What? No way. Suddenly, out of nowhere, Rachel returns to the chat room to literally everyone's surprise. People in the chat room went crazy, asking where she'd been, what the hell had happened with Kevin, sending messages saying they were happy to see her back and seemingly well, all sorts of stuff. Mark and John were elated, mainly Mark, as the girl that he thought he was in love with was back. Rachel explains that she hadn't died after being abducted by Kevin and his gang. But that encounter had left her in a sort of coma-like state in which she had been recovering from this whole time. Y'all. But I hate Stephanie so Wait. I hate it. During this time, this month that she's been missing, she also gave birth to a child whom she claims was taken from her due to her still being incapacitated. However, and his friends more child, so, Kevin take she announces to the whole chat room that this baby was Mark's child. No! <laughs> no! After this bombshell Get news. out! After this bombshell news. Mark, who she has never, ever met, parentheses, because she's not a real person, in parentheses. Sorry, what's the door sound? Which one? She dips out once more, this time for good and with no explanation. However, a scheduled email would be received shortly after by both Mark and John. A scheduled email. Explaining that if they were reading it, that Rachel was gone and that what she was doing was in order to protect them from Kevin and his crew. Fucking hate it. April 30th. Oh, poor Mark. I'm like, this kid is being tortured. It's all happening within, it's all happening within like a month. So now we're on April 30th. (laughs) Janet enters the chat room. (laughs) Enter Janet Dobson. Dobinson. I hate it. A government worker. No. And mother, who mother means she's definitely too old to be in this child chat room, but whatever. Who was in an unhappy marriage, Janet, who was a high-ranking official with the British Secret Service, a.k.a. MI6, in which her family was not privy to. This is where it gets even crazier, so buckle in. Oh, I was waiting for you to grab your phone and make another door entrance sound. Not yet. Janet entered the chat room seemingly as a way to investigate the disappearance of these two teenage girls. Rachel and Lindsay, of course. Of course. Asking around for information on the two, but ultimately ending up with Mark. Janet quickly realized that Mark would be a key to her investigation. Naturally. Since he knew both girls, Rachel in particular, so much that she explained to Mark that she wished to train and initiate him into being an MI6 agent in order to assist them with their case. Who who did this to this boy? Mark being a 16-year-old dude. He was like, yeah, of course, yeah. MI6, yeah. yeah. It's my girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. The two began talking in the chat room about what was going on. Janet would go on to explain to Mark some of the perks of working as an agent. 
such as great pay, getting to meet with the prime minister and even the queen I'll herself. I'll introduce you to 007 <laughs> and the, the queen. Life. And do you know, I'll introduce you to the queen's sister, the princess. The princess. <laughs> Although Janet also took this time to mention that even though she was 40 years old, she was still foxy and extremely of sexy. Of course. She's a milf. Of course. She's like, have you seen that movie, American Pie? That's basically me. That's me. <laughs> but before Mark could join, could join the organization and be an agent, he must prove that he was ready. So he was given a very sensitive assignment of the utmost importance. Guard an individual named James Bell. The sole individual knew the number sequence combination to a super secret vault under the Atlantic Stop! Ocean. Hold on. And Nick Cage is going to be there this, and we're going to steal the Declaration this, of Independence. It's not America. We're in the UK. So this held all of the country's greatest treasure and wealth in the crown jewels. However, James Bell just so happens to be someone that Mark is familiar with. You see, that's because James Bell the individual who knows the code to untold riches, apparently buried in a super secret vault under the Atlantic Ocean. Is 14-year-old John. Is 14-year-old John. Mark's assignment, though, quickly turned, took a turn. When Janet began to give him the orders to, quote-unquote, make James look totally gay. Janet at one point told what? Mark... Janet at one point told Mark that the two teenagers had to trade blowjobs, which the boys did at John's home after skipping school one day. Oh it's not gay if you're doing it to be a secret oh, agent. No. Janet requested more and more acts like this, promising Mark more money and sexual favors from her if he completed them. Now we're going... So angry. This happens through May. Now we get to early, mid-June. After a few days of this, we've got Mark's new assignment. It had once again changed. Mark was now being ordered to terminate James for the safety of the crown. One portion of the text exchange between Janet and Mark is as follows. Janet, only he can walk through the door. It will not allow anyone else. Mark, not even queen? Janet, no. <laughs> not even queen? Mark, ain't it murder when you, you, kill someone, spelled S-U-M, one. one. Janet, not in your case. Despite his hesitations, it did not take Mark very long to be co coerced into the plan. Janet promised extraordinary rewards for his service to the crown, a reward of 80 million pounds, a career in the intelligence service, as well as the promise of sexual favors. The reason for this new change was that James Bell, a.k.a. 14-year-old John, who holds, holds the code to the super-secret vault under the Atlantic like Ocean that holds right. all of the treasures of the UK. The 14-year-old boy. James Bell had developed a brain tumor, which was lethal. And in the meantime, the crown feared that he may divulge the secrets of the vault. Thing is, though, Mark was not only being told this by Janet, but John was texting him as well. John because wrote, it's John! John wrote to Mark one day explaining his new condition. I got a letter today from my doc when I went in a few weeks ago because I was depressed and I shit. I think you need to be using a Cockney accent because they're British. I'm sorry, you're right. I got a letter from my doc. I got a letter today from my doc. When I went in a few weeks ago, because I was depressed and shit, 
I got a brain thingy tumor, but it's big. So after this, that was perfect. Thank you. Uh, I practiced really Here's hard. Here's your more. <laughs> thank you so much. I would like to thank Stephanie and Eliza Doolittle. Uh, so <laughs> for your accent practice, for my accent practice, Ryan in spine falls mindly on the blind. So after this, Mark is convinced that this is what he has to do. Oh my god! What only he could do. John, if you're, I mean, you're a 14 year old boy and you shouldn't be trying to commit suicide. But if you were, what a, what a dumb, horrible way to go about it. The murder is planned. Mark and Janet then plan how the termination is going to go down. Mark was to accompany John to the shopping center at the uh, neighborhood mall where he would complete this assignment. Janet, however, did instruct Mark that there was an abort code that if he heard, meant that John was allowed to live and the mission was off. This special abort code was 6969. I'm leaving. I'm fucking leaving. I don't even want to hear the rest of this stupid story. John, it's- fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you, little 14-year-old shit. That's why you got stabbed. In the meantime, Janet made sure that Mark bought the right type of knife. He was the kind of of teenager who needed every last detail spelled out. No pocket knives, he was instructed. It must be a large knife capable of stabbing properly. After stabbing John, Mark then should call for an ambulance, but not straight away. He had to wait. Mark was then assured that all he had to do was go along with the police. At the police station, Janet would meet him and get him off the hook oh while being God. disguised as a detective superintendent. Oh my fucking God. Back to June 29th, 2003, where we started. Mark and John indeed visit the shopping center where Mark had brought the kitchen knife. Mark brought John to a small alleyway between stores, and after hearing no signs of the mission abort code, 6969, bing bong 420, Mark would take out <laughs> Mark would take out his weapon and plunge it into John's stomach. John panicked and yelled. Later, Mark explained how he hard yelled, it- 6969? <laughs> I don't think so. Later, Mark, he probably just yelled, I can't believe you did it! Later, Mark explained how hard it was to do and that he did his best to keep John quiet while he pulled the knife out and And stabbed his friend a second time again in the abdomen. Mark called the cops like instructed once done. John was rushed to the hospital in critical condition. While Mark tried to explain what had happened to the officers who arrived, though right away, Mark was suspect number one. Especially when the surveillance footage showed that only Mark and John went into that alleyway. And only Mark emerged from that alleyway. Mark would remain silent about what really happened, still believing that Janet Janet would swing by to get him released. Spoiler alert. She never came. (laughs) Shocking. Weeks would pass. Mark was held in a juvenile detention center on charges of attempted murder. While John would survive the attack, he spent his time recovering at the hospital and at home. The police begin to look through Mark's case and find themselves very lucky. Mark's computer contained software that permanently, permanently, 
Mark's computer contained software that permanently retrieved much of the dialogue from all of his chat room conversations. They were expecting to find further evidence against Mark, along with possibly other dubious individuals, using the chat room to target young teens like pedophiles, murderers, and groups of school bullies. That is not at all what they found. Shocking. When diving into the chat room, police discovered 200 individual emails or active users, but almost every single one of them came from one computer, John's. Dozens upon dozens of people or characters living their own lives, checking in and chatting with each other, all run by John. Every single person that Mark had interacted with over the past few months in that chat room was John. John. Rachel, whom he had fallen in love with. John. John. Knew that. Kevin. Called it. The dubious gay with the fetish for pink font. John. They were all John. Lindsay. Mark's rebound. John. Janet. The sexy MILF British secret servant agent. Shockingly. John. John. Also John. John's mom. Uh, She wanted in on it. Even the random people in the chat room talking about their work or chatting with Mark about school or the town, all John. It's like Mark was in his own Truman show, but John was the production company. But I don't... John, a little bit about John. Relatively average teen, but a combination of depression, stress, teenage confusion, anxiety, along with a brand new laptop and apparently unbridled access to the internet. I was like, no parents. Warped John's world into one that centered around the internet and eventually Mark, who John did develop feelings for. John literally spent most of his time online. Mm -hmm. They say he barely ate, he rarely slept, he went to school, and then he went back home and got in the chat room. Between John and Mark's computers, police had 133 gigabytes of data, 54,000 lines of chat room conversations, or roughly 15 pounds of printed out paper. With this, John too would be charged in his role in the events. Of getting himself stabbed. Trial, May 28th, 2004. John Convicted on the charge of incitement to murder and perverting the course of justice. Sentenced to three-year supervision order, banned from contacting Mark, or using the internet without supervision. Mark. Convicted on the charge of attempted murder. Sentenced to two-year supervision order and banned from any contact with John. Great. This was the first case in British law courts of one person inciting another person to kill them. Only parts of this story were ever revealed to the British public, again, because this did deal with minors. Almost nothing consequential about those involved came out, as the lawyer representing the different news sites complained. For example, although the media had named John as a stabbing victim and published his photograph before the trial, no one in Britain would ever be allowed to learn that he had tried to engineer his own execution because his lawyers had fought the newspaper to say, don't release it. Yeah. Moreover, also, the news people lost interest because while during the story, John was dealing with his homosexual tendencies and was figuring all of that stuff out, by the time it went to trial, he had a girlfriend and so they were like, well, I guess he's straight now. It's not as interesting. 
big eye roll. And that is the first case in the British law courts of one person inciting another to kill themselves. Weird that it's also minors. However, the story has gone on to be a prime example for better online practices and protections for young users in the UK and even went on to be the basis for the movie You Want Me to Kill Him from 2013 with the U spelled as a U and the two as the number two. That's a movie? That's a movie. The write-up, again, is from Shane. He did a lot of research on this, and he even told me that there were more specific details he could have gotten into about both Mark and John's past, but this is just sort of the overview. Honestly, I I feel like it is enough. I mean, it is a lot, but I'm just like, yeah, I'm like, it's all real, though. Like, Mark lived through that for, How like, four months. How early did I call it, though? I was oh, like, I know. all of it is John. I was like, all of it is the 14-year-old boy. All of it. As I was going through all of this, it took me to the, like, I kidnapped Rachel. And I was like, oh, this is a scam, but who is it? I, I bet read, it's John. As as, yeah, I was like, as soon as I kidnapped Rachel, I was like, okay, John is the only person, and he's pretending to be all these other people. It's just, that's such, that that's a full-time job. <sighs> pretending to be all those people. I'm like, uh, we all pretended to be somebody, but we all didn't Not pretend to be 200. 200 Good Lord. And I'm like, uh, and I love how he's like, here's your assignment. Make James look gay. Can you just suck my dick, please? Yeah, I'm just oh, like, so he, used, he basically used it to assault somebody and then tried to. I'm like, In multiple ways, because to a many, degree, many I feel ways, like you assaulted yes. Mark by making Mark believe that right. he needed I was to like, murder he you. Was constantly manipulating Mark, like constantly. And I can't help but think that like maybe like Mark is a little like slow on the a uptake. Slow, right. And that like, yes, John was younger, but John was clearly like manipulative and really like really thoughtful in all of the ways that he manipulated this person. That's it, is he was just really thoughtful in the ways he manipulated him. Yeah, It's crazy. And also, like, why? Like, why? Like, why? Um, he was depressed and bored? I don't bored. know. He was a bored 14-year-old boy with a computer. Yep. There it is. And the internet, especially in those days. Wild west of the internet. The wild west. Like, you could pretend to be Anybody. 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 Just enter that chat and, hi, I'm Kevin. Hi, I'm Stacy. That was wild. What a wild ride. You just fucking like, <laughs> welcome to Chili's. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Good. And with that, to this story, we say. Goodbye. Well, thank you, Shane oh. and Sarah. I try to be quicker For on Shane. the draw. <laughs> That was wild. Yes, and thank even you, though, Shane. Like, even though I knew it was the whole time, I was just like, "There's but how more? far? Yes, There's more." Another person's entered the chat. Yeah, and when it got to Janet, it's just like Mark is still believing this, but he was so far in the cult. Yeah, you know, it's not an actual cult, but we're using that as like That's a metaphor. Right. That's the phrase that we use. But you get it. It's crazy. So thank you, Shane. That story would have never popped up in my news probably in a long time, if ever. That's and. Crazy. That was a great story. Thank you for bringing it to us. Let, thank you for letting for us. My sister to listen it. to this, and then for us to talk about our days on Yahoo chat rooms and the wild shit that we would see. I'll make sure to turn the notifications off for the group chat when that happens, <laughs> so that I'm not having my phone blow up. Just kidding. Thank you, Shane, for sharing. And thank for you, sharing Shane. The story with us, Sarah. Thank you for for sharing. Oh yeah, right. That was a wild ride. That's so much fun. Thank you for listening to the story. Yes. You now that you're here and you're at the end, you know there are so many ways you can support our show. 
One of those ways is by subscribing to our Patreon. We have $1, $5, $10, and $15 tiers, all with really, really cool rewards. And each higher tier, of course, gets all of the rewards of the tiers under it and then some. We also have merch on our website, deadtimestories.com, all one word with a Z. And, of course, there are free ways to support our show, like emailing us at deadtimestories at gmail.com. But the number one way that we always ask people to do is to give us that five-star review on whatever app it is that you use to listen to our show. Whether Any of them. the Apple, like, iTunes podcast area situation, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, anywhere where you listen to us and they give you the option to tell them how you feel about us, give them five stars. Tell and them that we're the best. Honestly, if you're listening to this and you're like, I already left you a review, here's what you do. You take your other email account. You make another email. You pull it down. I know you have another email. We all, we have, all have multiple email emails. So log in under the other email. Come make a back different name. Come back as Rachel. Come back as Lindsay. Lindsay. And you give us those Kevin. five-star reviews on all of those aliases. There you go. There, That's done. Let's take one positive thing from John's story, which is that one person can somehow have 200 emails. And so we should be and getting about 200 more 200. reviews. And I mean, that's... We really, we should be getting like 1,400 because if there are seven of you listening to us and each of you leave us 200 reviews. You know who you are. Get to work. We appreciate it so much. Just Thank kidding. We appreciate you. So you. Much Thank for you. Thank you. And supporting our podcast. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And this has been Dead Time Stories. Thank you for listening. What a wild ride. Oh, uh, yeah. Wasn't that wild crazy? Ride. I know. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Heddens and Stephanie C. Ferguson. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Rennie Slackman. 